Hello everyone, welcome back to MedTalks. I'm Sahil and I'm currently a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. Today's podcast is part of the Finals Countdown series, where we talk about lots of different common conditions that will be useful for medical students studying for their exams. This series is the Cardiology series, and in today's podcast, I'll be talking to you about hypertension or high blood pressure. So hypertension is an extremely common condition globally, with millions of people worldwide affected by it. It is a risk factor for many conditions such as angina, ischemic heart disease, cerebrovascular diseases such as stroke, and peripheral vascular disease. First things first, let's try and define it. So high blood pressure occurs where the force of the blood against the walls in your blood vessels is too high. Formally, somebody is diagnosed as having a high blood pressure when their readings are greater than 140 over 90 millimeters mercury. But more about how it's diagnosed later. First, let's see why it happens. So, 90 to 95% of the time, the cause of hypertension is unknown, and so it's classed as idiopathic or essential hypertension. But with this, there are numerous lifestyle factors that are known to contribute to the condition. And these include having a sedentary lifestyle, low amounts of exercise, a diet which is rich in salt and fatty foods, excess, excessive cigarette smoke and alcohol consumption. And these factors are extremely important when it comes to managing the condition. 5-10% to 10% of the time, however, hypertension occurs secondary to another medical condition. Examples include endocrine conditions such as primary hyperaldosteronism, where the excessive production of aldosterone causes excessive sodium and water reabsorption from the kidneys, which increases the blood volume and causes a high blood pressure. Another endocrine cause is pheochromocytoma, where a tumour in the adrenal gland causes the production and the release of excess catecholamines, which in turn raise the blood pressure. Conditions that involve the kidney can also result in a higher blood pressure. Renal artery stenosis, which means narrowing of the artery that supplies the kidney, can result in high blood pressure because the reduced blood flow to the kidney stimulates the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone, or the RAS system, which in turn causes vasoconstriction and increases blood volume. Numerous other conditions involving the kidney can lead to hypertension in this way. Finally, there are medications that we prescribe to patients that can raise their blood pressure. And these include steroids, the oral contraceptive pill through the effects of estrogen, and selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are usually prescribed for anxiety and depression. Another cause to be aware of, and this is usually seen in young children or adults, is coarctation of the aorta. In this condition, there is a narrowing of the aorta between the upper body and the lower body branches. Typically, it's in an isolated location just after the aortic arch. And this blockage can increase the blood pressure in your arms and your head, but reduce the pressure in your legs. So, if a young person has a high blood pressure, then always think of coarctation of the aorta. Now let's have a think about the symptoms that patients may experience when they have hypertension. Most of the time, people don't even realise that their blood pressure is high. In other words, they're asymptomatic. And it's often diagnosed as an incidental finding. For example, a patient may visit his or her GP for something completely separate, and the GP decides to check his or her blood pressure and first notes an abnormal result. If, however, the patient does have symptoms, the most common ones are headaches, palpitations, visual changes such as blurry vision. And sometimes patients may have chest tightness or angina. Okay, so now let's think about how hypertension is diagnosed. So hypertension is 
diagnosed using a device, which is difficult to say, it's called a sphygmomanometer, and this is something you should all practice using during medical school. So this involves plating an inflatable cuff around the patient's arm and inflating it to measure the pressure within the arm. As I mentioned earlier, a blood pressure of 140 over 90 mmHg or more is considered high. However, NICE guidelines advise that hypertension is diagnosed using more extensive measurement techniques. And these include ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, or ABPM, where a patient carries a device on their body for 24 hours and it measures their blood pressure at frequent intervals as they get on with their normal life. The reason that a diagnosis of hypertension can't be made based on the clinic blood pressure alone is due to the well-known white coat effect, where patients who are anxious of visiting the doctor may experience transient rises in their blood pressure whilst in the clinical environment. Additionally, if a patient has been excessively stressed, in a rush or had a caffeinated drink just before their appointment, then these factors would also cause transient rises in their blood pressure. So ambulatory blood pressure monitoring and home blood pressure monitoring devices are used for more accurate diagnoses. So now let's talk about the different stages of hypertension. Stage 1 is where there's a clinical blood pressure of 140 over 90 mmHg or more and an ambulatory blood pressure or home blood pressure average reading of 135 over 85 mmHg or more. In stage 2, the clinic blood pressure is 160 over 100 mmHg or more and the ABPM or HPPM average reading is 150 over 95 mmHg or more. And stage 3, or severe hypertension, is where the systolic blood pressure is 180 mmHg or more, or the diastolic blood pressure is 110 mmHg or more. So those are the stages of hypertension. Now let's go on to talk about how we manage it. So hypertension is a risk factor for numerous conditions, and so it's imperative that it is managed effectively. As with many medical conditions, the first form of action was, would be to address any lifestyle factors that may be contributing to the high blood pressure. And these would include lowering dietary salt intake, aiming for less than 6 grams a day, reducing or quitting smoking, decreasing alcohol intake, decreasing fatty food consumption, exercising more, avoiding, avoiding a sedentary lifestyle, reducing caffeine intake, and adopting a diet consisting of more fruit and vegetables. Following on from this, pharmacological intervention will be required to control the blood pressure, and for this there is a treatment algorithm developed by NICE, which I will go through with you now. And I highly recommend that you learn this algorithm thoroughly both for your exams and also just for your knowledge for when you start working. So pharmacological management is always initiated in patients with stage 2 hypertension. In other words, an ABPM or HBPM average reading which is greater than or equal to 150 over 95 mmHg. In stage 1 hypertension, the first step is lifestyle modification without initial pharmacological intervention unless the following are present. So if the patient is younger than 80 years old, with signs of end-organ damage, such as known cardiovascular or renal disease, or the patient also has diabetes mellitus, or their Q-risk score, which is their 10-year cardiovascular mortality risk score, is 10% or more. And if the patient has stage 3 hypertension, then immediate treatment should be considered, and urgent referral to a specialist if there are signs of papilledema or retinal hemorrhage. So the treatment algorithm has recently been updated in 2019 by NICE, and it's as follows. So if a patient is 55 years old or younger and not of any Afro-Caribbean descent, or if the patient has type 2 diabetes regardless of the age, the first-line medication should be an ACE inhibitor, such as Ramipril or Enalapril or Lisedipril. Now if a drug ends in Pril, then it's more likely than not going to be an ACE inhibitor. 
and the way this lowers blood pressure is by inactivating the RAS system that we spoke about earlier. So for example, Ramipro inhibits the actions of angiotensin converting enzyme, or ACE, thereby lowering the production of angiotensin 2. The decrease in angiotensin 2 results in relaxation of the arterial smooth muscle, leading to a decrease in the total peripheral resistance, which reduces the blood pressure as the blood is pumped through widened vessels. The side effects of ACE inhibitors include a dry cough, hyperkalemia and angioedema. The dry cough, which is due to buildup of bradykinin, if this occurs and the patient is unable to tolerate it, then you can switch to a similar medication called an angiotensin receptor blocker. If a patient is older than 55 years old or is of Afro-Caribbean descent with no evidence of type 2 diabetes, then the first line is a calcium channel blocker such as amlodipine or nifedipine. And through a blockade of calcium channels, this prevents influx of calcium ions into smooth muscle and thereby inhibits contraction of blood vessels, which lowers the blood pressure by reducing total peripheral vascular resistance. If a patient is not suitable to have a calcium channel blocker or they do not tolerate it, then the next step is a thiazide-like diuretic. Previously, patients were given thiazide diuretics such as bendroflumathiazide. However, due to the unwanted side effect profile, this was changed to the thiazide-like such as chlortalidone or endapamide. And these drugs lower the blood pressure by reducing the circulating blood volume through increased diuresis. Step 2 in the management of hypertension involves combination therapy. Regardless of age and ethnicity, patients whose blood pressure does not improve on monotherapy are initiated on dual therapy involving an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker and a calcium channel blocker. And if the calcium channel block is not appropriate, such as there is evidence of heart failure or it's not tolerated, then a thiazide-like diuretic can be used instead. So think, step one is one, one drug, step two, two drugs, and step three is three drugs, where there is triple therapy. So patients are put on an ACE inhibitor, calcium channel blocker, and a thiazide-like diuretic. And step four is a step where expert advice will be required. So a different diuretic may be added, such as spironolactone, and this will depend on the potassium levels, or a higher dose of the thiazide-like diuretic. Alternatively, a alpha or a beta blocker may be commenced as well, depending on expert advice. So that's the pharmacological management for hypertension. The last thing I'd like to talk to you about are the targets that we aim for when managing patients with hypertension. So for patients under the age of 60, then the clinical blood pressure target is 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury, and the ABPM or HBPM average reading target is 135 over 85 millimeters of mercury. For patients above the age of 80, the clinic blood pressure target is 150 over 90, and the ABPM or HBPM average reading is 145 over 85 millimeters of mercury. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you have found this episode useful. Please leave some feedback in the comments, give it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel for more episodes in the cardiology series. And we have lots more series coming up, including respiratory, gastroenterology, hematology, which where we'll provide lots of revision talks to help you with your exams and beyond. Goodbye.